Well, continuing on in our study uh, of the book of Philippians, today we're looking at um, Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 12 through 18. And, oh, just go back to that first slide. I just want you to see a picture of me working out. <laughs> and if you believe that, I've got some, you know, some swamp land to sell you, right? Today, we're going to be speaking on working out our salvation. And this is the Word of God. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good pleasure. Do everything without grumbling and arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation, crooked generation, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. And we're going to look at what does it mean to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Our Father and our God, we come to you this morning realizing that we need your Holy Spirit to take these words and translate them to our hearts and our understanding. I pray that you would give me that sense of liberty of the Spirit as I share on my heart what's on my heart for the hearts of the people today, in Jesus' name, amen. First of all, we have to realize that work out your own salvation does not mean that you work, means your own work for salvation with your own effort, as some have interpreted. The apostle is saying, now that I'm no longer present with you, you don't need to rely on my insights and counsel. Begin to walk without my assistance, for you have God in you, and that's all you need. In other words, stop leaning on me, start applying these things yourself. This is a necessary stage in our Christian growth. My oldest grandson has got his um, permit, but he can't drive without a licensed driver in the front seat with him. And so, when he's in that, when they're in the front seat of the car, he's there, the licensed driver's there to teach him the principles of driving, how to operate the car, teaching him how the traffic, how the principles of traffic, what you're supposed to do at a four-way stop, all those little things. And there are times when he's ready to start, he'll look over at uh, who's ever there with him, saying, okay, is this what I'm supposed to do right now? Yeah, okay, go ahead. Now be careful. Put your blinker on. Do this, do that, you know? Uh, when I, my dad started, he taught me once. And he pulled off the side of the race. I can't do this. 
And so he asked my oldest brother to teach me, who did not want me to get my license because he'd have to share the use of the car. And he did everything to sabotage. I still don't know how I got them. I'm some of you, you who have driven with me perhaps ask that same question. <laughs> well, you know what? Even after the uh, driver or the uh, license driver is uh, not there, he still, what he told them and, and shared with them is in his mind. It's still saying, okay, dad told me or mom told me or this is what I'm supposed to do. Well, first of all, salvation is not something you have to work for. It's a free gift from God that is received by faith. Isn't that beautiful? You don't work for your salvation. Salvation works for you. And I love that. Working at our salvation is very different from working for our salvation. When Paul tells the believers they needed to work out their salvation, he's simply explaining that the wonderful gift they receive from God is inside of them. We bring out those beautiful attributes and character traits by faith. But it's the faith that's at work, not us. So working out what is on the inside of us happens by faith. And this process can be frightening in the beginning, as a new believer discovers how to live and to walk by faith. Some strong trepidation may be present at first when a person decides to trust God as his source of hope and peace. I remember how scary it was for me in trusting for me to stop trusting in my natural abilities and to really trust in God's word. Trust in the Lord. It's one of the foundational verses of my life. With all your heart and lean not on your own understanding because I cannot. I try to figure stuff out, don't you? When thing happens to me, the hardest thing for me to do is, not, is to really trust God at that moment. I know he's going to help me through it, but I will try my hardest to figure it all out on my own. But he said, in all your ways, in everything in life, no matter what you're facing, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. And this is what Paul is referring to. He said, you know, don't trust always in your natural abilities, but trust God's word. He's referring to this when he mentions fear and trembling. He isn't talking about being afraid of God. Rather, he is helping the new believer to know that in the beginning it will be scary to walk by faith. Keep in mind, many of the people Paul is writing to came from a religion that opposed the type of grace that Paul was preaching. For example, first century Jews uh, who converted to Christianity would really struggle to believe that they were in perfect union with God. The thought that God was now living in them seemed unreal, much less the idea that he could love them unconditionally. They had left a religious system that taught them that God was holy and that you couldn't even mention his name. Or that if you violated his law or did something wrong in his presence, he would strike you down. Their mindset need to be completely renewed. 
And I certainly struggled with that in my early life. I thought I had to make myself good before God could accept me. And notice what Paul emphasizes in the next verse. He said, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You see, you've heard me say it. We're divinely called by God. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that would last. We are uniquely gifted. We're not like cookie cutters. Everybody's the same. God has created every one of us for a specific purpose. And he's given us specific gifts and talents to use in order for his, the fulfillment of his purpose for our lives. You see, Paul had to learn to trust in God's grace and his goodness and his love for him. Because when he sinned and failed, the first thing as a Pharisee would do, he would run to the temple and offer a sacrifice for his sins. But now he had to trust Jesus as his sacrifice for sins and believe that he had removed them from him forever, never to be remembered against them anymore. And so over time, Paul began to see God's character known as the fruit of love or the fruit of the Spirit. He saw and experienced the love of God and the joy that it brings and the peace that he had from him. And he saw how it, it translated into the lives of others with patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Seeing salvation working its way out from the inside to the outside for the world to see. That's what God wants to do with us. He wants to conspire through our living to create in the hearts of other people a desire to know the Christ that has given you the joy, the peace, the hope, and purpose. And in the beginning, this process was frightening because it was a very new way to relate to God. The very idea that his body could be the home of God's presence was kind of mind-blowing for a Jew who knew that a priest who messed up in the Holy of Holies dropped dead. You can imagine it. Now, Paul was the home of the precious Holy Spirit, and his body had now become the Holy of Holies. Quite a mind change, right? We do the living and the choosing and the acting, but we know the secret that all along it is he who is living and acting and choosing through us, through the Holy Spirit. As Paul so wonderfully puts it in his letter to the Galatians, he says this, I am crucified with Christ. That is, my self-centered will, which once chose everything in relationship to me, by which I tried to run my life, has been brought to an end in the death of Jesus. I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, that's the key. We don't stop living. We change the basis on which we live. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what we have so beautifully outlined here in the Philippians, the book of Philippians, Paul's friends. 
He says, you are now to do your own choosing and living. And as you do, God is at work in both to will and to work. It's so important to see that. When you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you have the Holy Spirit as we demonstrated. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are one. He said, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you to be with you forever. Everything that happened in the early church, as you read through the New Testament, was through the power of the Holy Spirit. The wind and the fire are powerful forces in nature. And uh, you can feel their presence and experience their power and see the aftermath once they've passed. I have a picture here of the fire that's happening right now in Australia. And we sent a number of Canadian uh, firefighters to go over there to help them fight that fire. Doesn't that look horrendous? And I think the slide before that was the typhoon that was taking place and taken a number of lives, the wind in the, in the Philippines. And these elements have been used to paint a brilliant picture of how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. In the Old Testament for spirit, the word is uh, ruach, the, the, the sea is silent. And the New Testament for spirit is pneuma. But both these words have their root in wind. Our lives are like a sailboat. This is the Blue Nose, Canada's fastest racing schooner built in Nova Scotia. I think it's still the picture on the back of our dime, isn't it? Uh, the Blue Nose was carefully constructed. The captain reads the manual and knows every area, tweaks everything that has to be tweaked, and fixes everything that has to be fixed. And you do all this so that it will soar on the water. It's perfect. But what is the only thing that matters to get this to sail. The wind. And without the wind, it will just float and not get anywhere. You can't control the wind. All you can do is harness it. The problem with most Christians today is we don't have enough wind in our sails. Paul knew when he was writing to the Philippians that as Christians, they had the Holy Spirit in them. And when Jesus was leaving in John 14, he says one of the things that he said to his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. Why? Because when I leave, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. An advocate a counselor, helper forever, the spirit of truth. That's what Jesus promised he would leave. And if you're a Christian, you have the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit of truth within you. If you're not a Christian today, you don't have the Holy Spirit. You perhaps can feel the Holy Spirit on occasions. But there's a difference in having something and harnessing it. My dad owned a, a black stallion. It was a standard bred. His name was Hedgewood Chief. And uh, when he would hook him up to the sulky or in the winter to the Janton sleigh, do you know what a Janton sleigh is? Well, that horse, he just loved to get in there and he would take off like lightning once he was harnessed. But when he wasn't harnessed, he just kind of chilled out. 
you know, in the stable. I think we have forgotten that the Holy Spirit is a person. He is personal. And what if God intended for you to have him speak to you in every area of your life, every day of your life, so personally, just as if Jesus was standing next to you right now? Can you imagine if Jesus was walking beside you every day? How different would your life be? How different would your conversation be? You know, as a pastor, every once in a while, one time I was in the mall and, and this chap was there visiting with my dad and uh, this chap just started chatting me up like I was his lost, best lost friend and uh, he said and Grimble are you still with uh, Rooney's uh, nursing or funeral home and I went oh I'm not Grimble you're not Grimble I said no I'm Blaine Blaine and all of a sudden his voice his face are you the minister and you could tell all of a sudden, his mind, did I say anything inappropriate? I'm talking to a minister. Oh, and his voice changed. He went, oh, I'm so privileged to meet you. And it was just like one of those moments. Do we act differently in church than we do in our daily living? Realize this. If Jesus was walking beside you every day as your buddy, walking beside you, how different would your life be? Can you imagine that? For you who are single, I don't know if there's anybody single here today, and you're dating, and you find this perfect person, and you say, oh, they, they meet all the criteria, and you say to Jesus, Jesus, uh, is, is this the right person for me? And, and Jesus says, run while you can. I think some of you are saying, I wish you would have said that to me. Run while you can. I was in the um, Iron Mills Mall, and uh, Carol goes into the stores. I don't. I walk the circle and just look and watch. And I, I got to the Bass store, and this lady came out, and she was just, she invited me to come in. Come on in, she said. We've got everything you need for fishing. I said, I don't fish. We've got everything you need for hunting. I don't hunt. We've got all the golf. I don't golf. Well, we've got camouflage clothing. I said, I don't wear camouflage clothing. I said, but you know what? You are really suited for this job. I mean, you really engage people. and You want them to go inside and you're inviting them. And she said, well, I'm going to be doing it until I'm 90. <laughs> and uh, she said, unlike these people, these executives that uh, rise to the top and then they can retire. She said, like you. I said, I'm not retired. You're not? I said, no. She said, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. No, no. What do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. You're a pastor? Yeah. Oh, well, you know what? I think we should be living more by the Ten Commandments and the Golden Rule. There's too many people sleeping around. She said, I married three times, and every one of them were a dud. <laughs> and I'll tell you the rest of the story later on in the message. You know, if Jesus is walking beside us, how different would our life be? You know, like the in the wedding at Cana, they ran out of wine, and Mary said to Jesus, they run out of wine. 
He said, why are you telling me my time has not come? You see, because it was the responsibility of the oldest person, and he wasn't the oldest person there. But we know what happened. He turned the water into wine. But can you imagine if you're reading your Bible and Jesus is beside you and he says, what does this mean for me, Jesus? He would explain it to you, right? Or your dog dies and he raises him from the dead like, whoops. Or you run out of uh, chips at your party. Say, Jesus, the chips are all gone and so is the Diet Coke. Don't worry about it, there it is. Can you imagine if Jesus was beside you all day long? Well, I want to show you what Jesus teaches about the Holy Spirit. He says this, and think about it. But very truly I tell you, it's for your good or your benefit that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send you to him, him to you. Do you understand the implications of what Jesus is saying here? Jesus is telling us the Holy Spirit in me is better than Jesus beside me. How on earth can that be, you ask? If Jesus was physically here right now, he could only be in one place at one time. If you're in trouble and you need Jesus' help, but he's in Munich helping somebody else, then you're out of luck. When Lazarus was sick and Mary wanted him to come, he was in a different town. Jesus is saying, I am going to send someone just like me to live inside you better than right beside you. Have you ever been reading a passage of scripture that you've read many times and all of a sudden it takes on a brand new meaning for you? It's because the Holy Spirit interprets it to your heart. How is it that we find it hard to believe that the Holy Spirit's presence is greater than Jesus beside us? I think it's because our tendency is to think of the Holy Spirit as a nit and not a who. The Holy Spirit is a person and the Holy Spirit is personal. Three reasons you know the Holy Spirit is a person. One is this in John 14, 16, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. So I said, Siri, what does another mean? And Siri says, another means same as or type as one already mentioned. An advocate is the same as Jesus, the one that was mentioned. Jesus is saying the other person in my life is just like me. The Trinity are all the same and all unique. Some try to explain it this way. They say, well, it's like water, ice, and steam. They're all H2O, right? I don't think an infinite God can ever be fully explained by a finite being, but God doesn't need us to explain him. He wants us to experience him. And when we understand how personal the Holy Spirit is, we will recognize and realize and experience uh, his presence and ministry in our lives in a greater depth. We believe in the Trinity because it was revealed by God. The Holy Spirit, it's real because 
it can be lied to. You can't lie to an it. Can you? It says in Acts 5.3 that Ananias lied to the Holy Spirit. It's a person. We can grieve the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 4.3 and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. You can't grieve an it. I look at my car and I say, oh, it's such a mess. And I kind of grieve over the fact that it's dirty and I need to get it cleaned, but I'm so busy. Would someone like to clean my car for me? I don't grieve to the car because it's a knit, right? I can't grieve the car. I can grieve about it being dirty, but I can't grieve to the car. How would your relationship with God change if you saw the Holy Spirit in the way that you see Jesus beside you? You begin to hear God's voice at a level that you've never experienced before. If the Holy Spirit is personal, you will miss. If, it is, if he isn't personal, you'll miss the promptings in your life. I heard a pastor tell a wonderful story. He said, I was prompted by the Holy Spirit uh, to call my childhood friend. And he said, it took me a whole day. I hadn't seen him for years and years. In high school was the last time I saw him. And I finally got his number, his cell number after a whole day of looking for it, and, and I called him, and I got his answering machine. And I just said, hey, this is so-and-so, and I'm calling to touch base with you to see how you're doing. Give me a call. He said, the prompting, that was the prompting of the Holy Spirit, but yet I got an answering machine. Five years later, he was in contact with him. He said, and the first thing he said to him was, by the way, thank you for your phone call. Phone call? You didn't even answer it. He said, I couldn't. He said, I was in a coffee shop. And he said, my wife decided she didn't want to be married to me anymore. And I was there contemplating how I was going to take my own life. He said, you saved my life that day with that phone call. He said, I didn't save your life. God saved your life through the prompting of the Holy Spirit. You see, God prompts us. God uses us. We are his catalyst of blessing. We are his hands. We are his feet. Simeon said in Luke 2, he was moved by the Spirit and he went to the temple courts. In Acts 20, 22, it says, uh, Paul says, I was compelled by the Spirit. The question is, how do I know if I'm being prompted by, from God or worse, from Satan? Well, there's three ways to know. Being prompted by the Holy Spirit, it will never contradict what the Bible says. I know a pastor, I knew him personally, and he felt like God had told him that he was to leave his wife and to marry the organist in his church who was also married. And he tried to justify it, and he felt like that act was prompted by God. What do you think? Does that pass the test, the scripture? And it will never, this prompting will never be purely selfish 
Philippians 2.3 says, Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in human value, observe above others above yourself. And being prompted by the Holy Spirit can sometimes cost you something. Remember one morning, my dad was having his devotional time, and he was prompted by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit said to him, you know, the youth pastor has five children, winter's coming, and they're going to need winter boots. So my dad got in his car, he went to the parsonage, knocked on the door, and he came to the door and he said, I've come to take you out to buy winter boots for your children. And she began to weep. She said, I was on my knees praying, and I said, God, how are we going to afford winter boots for our kids? She said, I was just praying that, and I, a knock came in the door, and it was you saying you've come to take me. That's how God works. The prompting, you never know what kind of a catalyst that God is using or how he's using you as a catalyst to fulfill his good and perfect will. He's working out his plan through you. That's his plan of salvation for you. And sometimes that can be very fearful. Very fearful. My neighbor, I only knew him in a very, uh, when he was being abusive with his family and I heard that he... Um, was dying of cancer and he went home to die. And I was working in Toronto. I lived about 100 kilometers from my home. And uh, all that day, the Lord, the prompting of the Holy Spirit, like the hound dogs of heaven, was saying, you got to go and meet, visit with him. And I'm going, he won't want to meet with me. He's dying. you got to go. It was rush hour. I was coming up and I was fighting the, the prompting of the Holy Spirit, and I thought, I'm afraid to do that. I don't want to be rejected. Nobody likes being rejected, do we? But you know, I, I finally pulled off the exit, and I got to his house, and I said, Lord, you're going to have to give me the words to say. His wife came to the door, and I said, God has asked me to come to visit Ray. Oh, he'll be happy to see you. Well, that was a shocker. He never was before. And I walked upstairs, and I walked in, and I said, uh, cancer is no respecter of persons. He said, no, it isn't. I said, are you afraid to die? He said, no, and I thought, well, there goes that angle. I said, are you prepared to die? He said, no, I'm not. I said, you can be. He said, I don't want to be one of these Johnny-come-latelys in heaven. I said, no, you will be a part of the redeemed. There's no Johnny come lately. It's just the redeemed. He said, I have never prayed in my life. And that was kind of shocking to me. I thought everybody prays once in a while. I don't know how to pray. I said, well, I'll pray. And if you pray this prayer, make it your prayer of your heart, God will hear you. And I'm telling you, he prayed that prayer and the Shekinah glory of God came upon that place and he said to me, I am now prepared. Three weeks later at his funeral, his pastor said, all Ray talked about was how he was looking forward to seeing Jesus who brought him so much peace and hope. The prompting of the Holy Spirit always isn't easy. And sometimes it can be fearful to do what God is asking you to do. Now back to the lady at the store, at Bass store. 
she had said to me after, you know, she said, I have a lot of needs. I need you to pray for me. And the Holy Spirit said to me, do it right now. Don't just say you'll do it. Do it right now. I said, I'll pray for you right now. And so I was standing there praying with her. And after we finished, another lady came along. She said, this is my friend. She really needs prayer. And she came over, introduced me, and she said, I do need prayer. And the three of us stood there in a huddle, and I prayed for them at the mall. And I went back to Carol and said, well, I just had a God moment. What do you mean a God moment? I said, I just prayed for two ladies. And she went, really? I said, what do we pray in the morning? Lord, this is the day you have made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Give me eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart that's willing to do the good works you have for me today. And that's what he had designed for me at that moment. And as I was sharing with Carol last night, I said, Carol, there's so many times in our lives that we've felt and experienced the prompting of God, and we perhaps haven't given it as much value as we should have. And sometimes we think that some of these incidents and moments that we come together are just happenstance, but they're not. I said, remember when we came out to visit in Calgary, and uh, on the way back, I had packed all of Andrew and Rhonda's towels and thought there were new ones that Carol had bought. She said, those aren't our towels. And so we're almost to Medicine Hat. I said, well, we're going to have to stop at them all, get a box, and we'll mail them back to her. Well, we did that, and as I was going out into the parking lot, uh, there was a lady kind of pulled in, and she was kind of having a hard time pulling, and this guy was blowing on his horn, blowing on his horn, and she finally got in, and, and she started walking over towards me, and she said, oh, you're from Ontario. She saw her license plate. I said, yes. Yeah. She said, my son lives in Ontario. I said, really? What part? And we chatted. And I, she said, he's coming today. He's flying in. Oh, is he coming on vacation? Are you excited? He's coming for his dad's funeral. My, his father just died yesterday. And uh, I said, how long were you married? She said, 65 years. I said, that's a big hole. She said, yes. I said, may I pray with you? She said, I would love that. My husband was a free Methodist minister. And uh, she said, are you a pastor? I said, well, I'm a pastor, but I work for the Canadian Bible Society. And she said, oh, we, we support the Canadian Bible Society. So we prayed together, and I'll never forget her words. And as we shared last night, Carol and I. <laughs> the prompting of the Holy Spirit was there. She said, now I know why I was prompted to come to the mall today. I needed to come because I needed you to pray for me today. And then I thought, God, did I pack all those? Was that part of the deal? I packed all those towels that didn't belong to me so that I would stop? I don't know. But I'll tell you this. God is working through you through the Holy Spirit. Don't ever underestimate. God is walking beside you. And the prompting of the Holy Spirit comes in different ways. It can, can come as a compulsion to pray. Have you ever wakened in the middle of the night and you're beginning to pray for someone at 2.30 in the morning? What's that all about? The prompting of the Holy Spirit. 
Learning to live by faith and trusting in the prompting of the Holy Spirit can be a challenging way to live if you've always placed your righteousness on your own performance. My prayer is God help me to hear your promptings this week. And my prayer for you is this. And act on them. Show me how personal you are. The Holy Spirit is in you. Think of him being beside you, prompting you. Might be just a prayer for someone, a note of encouragement, but God is prompting you through the Holy Spirit. He's working your salvation out. And sometimes it can be fearful. And sometimes we do it with trepidation. But God is with us. Our loving God and Heavenly Father, I pray that you would take these words that you've placed on my heart and translate them to the hearts of each one of us. May we, this week, hear your promptings and may we act on them. Lord, I pray that you would show each person here how personal you are to them. You have sent them the advocate and we thank you for that. Father, we have gathered here today as the church, congregated. Now we will become the church dispersed. May we be your hands, your feet, your eyes. Conspire through our hearts and lives to touch the hearts and lives of others. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Our prayer team is here, and if any of you feel like you'd like to have someone pray with you this morning, we always take that time for uh, praying together uh, as we dismiss. But the Lord bless you, and uh, have a wonderful day and a wonderful week.